Hey everyone, Dave Ryan here, host of Link to the Cast and the Away Goals podcast. What you're about to listen to is the second half of episode zero of the Away Goals podcast, hosted here on the Link to the Cast feed. Uh, After this, we will be switching exclusively to the Away Goals podcast feed so that Link to the Cast listeners who don't care about the football won't have their feed cluttered up by us. So please do follow us on Twitter at Away Goals Pod to get all the details about where you can follow us to get the podcast every week if football is your bag. Now... With that said, you're going to want to go back and listen to part one if you haven't already. There's some great stuff in there, some great stuff altogether. But this is the second half of our analysis of the European Championships, our teams of the tournaments, standout moments, key points, and our talk of the transfer market. What has been happening at club level this whole summer while we've been focused on events in France? Please do enjoy. Team of the tournament is always uh, an interesting thing to talk about. Um, And in a tournament where there wasn't a a singular player, I think, who everybody is universally ranting and raving about, there was certainly still uh, some strong performances from some players. And it's always interesting to see when people are constrained to only pick 11 and to fit them in the same team, um, what they do with them. And to that end, uh, we've each made out our own team of the tournament and not shown each other till right before we started recording. So Jack, if you want to take it away there and uh, just run us through your team of the tournament first. Okay, in goal, uh, Gianluigi Buffon. I thought he was magnificent throughout. I think his leadership from from the back as well as as goalkeeper it can't be questioned and the guy really continues to defy his age he still seems to be every ad- bit as agile uh and kind of just I-, I can't explain it dave how is this man in his late 30s still as imperious a goalkeeper as as he seems to be and he's just you can't help but love the guy he's captain of italy and I can still see him going maybe another tournament, maybe another two tournaments. If he continues to look after himself in this way, he, he was awesome for Italy. Uh, he was great in the penalty shootout. Yes, they ended up coming up short, but hey, I thought that uh, Buffon, to me, of all the goalkeepers, uh, you couldn't. there were a few that I couldn't separate. I think Lloris was in there. Patricio, again, for Portugal, had a great tournament. But what, what put Buffon over the top for me was just everything that he does yeah. for the well, team. Well, you're talking about a guy who has who had 169 caps for Parma before he moved to Juve, a 458 caps to date for, uh, for Juve, and 161 for the national side. It's uh, fantastic that he's been going this long, that he is still that good, as you said, and that, yeah, provided that niggling back injury can... Uh, kind of stay at bay I could see him going quite some time still true Um, right back I am saying Joshua Kimmich he was one of the few real bright spots for Germany in this tournament Uh, you know I think kind of Pep Guardiola last season said he's got everything like he, he and he's being compared to Philip Lahm which is 
pretty weighty. Who another Pep Guardiola uh, quote about Philip Lahm was that he's the most intelligent footballer he's ever worked with in his life. So that might be a little bit lofty, but he really did look good in this tournament at, at, at right back. I think he only usually kind of plays at centre half or in midfield, but he may be one of those players that uh, his versatility might be the death of him because he might end up moving around. But I would say he's the sort of guy that maybe after this uh, Carlo Ancelotti can look to as his right back for the next five, six years going forward because the guy's 21 years old and I thought he was very assured and a very, very good player in this tournament and stepped up when he needed to in a big spot and scored one of the penalties against Italy when much of his team were uh, were failing from the spot. Uh, moving on next now, your, your centre-backs. Centre-backs, I've gone for Chiellini. Uh, it could have been Bonucci or, or Barzagli, but I thought Chiellini was was probably the best of the three. He just is... He's He continues to be magnificent. He's a real throwback defender, real old school, you know, gets plays very tight and isn't afraid to use his physicality. And he, he might not necessarily be the paciest, but quite often, more than not, you watch him in the game and he's one of the cleverest people you'll see on a football pitch. He'll read a situation before it happens. And, and that kind of anticipation is what allows him to be in the place at the right time. You know, bit of the dark side is he's happy to wrestle on corners. He's happy to pull someone back for a cheeky booking when he's running back from a corner. But he's everything that you want in, in a leadership kind of candidate at, at centre back and I, I can't have anything but a hell of a lot of admiration for Giorgio Chiellini don't know about you Dave oh absolutely he's uh, one of those players that's very much like I love uh, an imperial hard as coffin nail centre half you got to think about like I support the club that has given the that ha- has given my time as a football fan the likes of uh, Big Yapstam and uh, Vidic who are very much kind of in that mold as guys who are absolutely world-class centre-halves, but uh, you would not fancy yourself in a fight. Similarly, having seen the likes of uh, Frank LeBeouf, John Terry and Alex play for Chelsea, uh, uncompromising no-nonsense centre-halves, I I just, yeah, I think I've got a massive soft spot for them. My other centre-half is Jose Font, who was great and, and really... Portugal's defensive organisation I thought he was the keystone of it all the way through the tournament he is the player that Liverpool should have signed when they came in for Dejan Lovren and instead of buying Jose Font and I remember um, as a guy I went to uni with he's a Southampton fan at the time saying I, I brought up Lovren I was like are you gutted and he's like no I'm just glad they didn't sign Jose Font because he really is the one that's making Lovren look good uh, and that was played out and yeah. and, and it's true and, and, and in this tournament you or everything like that he has it again he's another player in his 30s now so maybe not the quickest but another player that is a very very intelligent player and is brilliantly positionally aware and uh, on corners and stuff he he just he does the job for Portugal and in a great way I thought wrapping up your back four is Rafael Guerrero Rafael Guerrero now he had a bit of a shaky start to the tournament I thought but uh he kind of grew into it a little bit more as as it went on and this guy is 22 years old uh and he's just signed to Dortmund I believe uh before the tournament Dave I bet they are extremely glad that they snapped this guy up I think it was around 10 million euro uh he probably would have doubled his value because he's quick and he shows great enterprise and I I think that he's 
perhaps defensively not looking as great uh, at the start of the tournament, although towards the end, as Portugal's tactics kind of regressed a little bit, he showed that he could defend, but he was a constant threat overlapping out on the left-hand side. And this guy is 22, and you've got Kimmich at 21, and that really shows to me that at the moment, being a fullback is a young man's game. Because if you look at it, Danny Rose and Carl Walker for England, England's arguably two standout players they're both in their early 20s as well and I think what you expect from a modern fullback is pace and athleticism yeah, well they've got it. They've, and the way the game is played now they've got so much ground to cover for so long yeah you need to you need to be really infiltrating it they and, need to be car- cardio seen, machines really yeah you only really see like elder fullbacks in in old teams that are just incredibly canny and, and intelligent, like a like an Ashley Cole was for Chelsea, or even a Maldini for uh, for Milan for all those years. But even those two, like the game has has pushed on in the last five or so years, and now it just is a young man's game and that's almost like your best athlete on the pitch has to be a fullback and fullback was always the really unsexy position in football whereas now it's the guy that's probably the one that could run a long distance race because they're often the ones that cover the most ground right yeah uh, you've gone for uh, three in midfield yeah, I've gone for a 4-3-3 formation, which uh, you might see a bit of next year if Mourinho is your manager of Manchester United. The, th- the the first man I've gone for in midfield, I've mentioned a little bit earlier, Aaron Ramsey. Everything good that Wales did at some stage involved this guy. The only negative was the hair. I'm not sure what he was the thinking hair, about. The hair was toss. But he was, I think, I mean, I can't think of many players I would say were as consistently good as him there were players that definitely had better games as Aaron Ramsey but if we're looking at that sort of modern okay what's the average keep rating or something like that of all of these players Aaron Ramsey was the most consistent and it bore out if you watched him and everything that he did and I think Arsenal fans are hoping that this is the guy that's coming back <laughs> at the end of the summer because if he is I think a, a dynamic midfield of him and Granit Xhaka could be, be quite scary next year for them personally because we know Wilshere is going to be sitting most of the year <laughs> out bless him uh, yeah I've, I've gone for a, in midfield also uh Ivan Perisic now I think Perisic played a lot on the wing in the tournament out on the right hand side and and occasionally swapping over on the left but I've gone with him in a three here because I I think that I needed to A get him in and B there was no way that there was any team even if I was going to consider playing him a goalkeeper I wasn't going to include him in because to me he was an absolute revelation it's a guy who he left Dortmund in, uh, in 2013 and just seems to have gone on strength to strength to strength after that because that seemed like it was his big club and his big chance and and he kind of left and bounced around European football now and now he's back at, and had a great season for Inter and an Inter side that's possibly in a real resurgence and, and, and Perisic is very much going to be a big part of that next season and if he plays even half as well as he played at this tournament he's going to be an impact player for them next season yeah and a man who i think will feature on um a lot of teams of the tournament uh to round off your midfield dimitri Payet, who we've already talked about yeah awesome absolutely brilliant came off the back of uh just almost i i, I would say that he was to me, he was my player of the Premier League season last year, Dimitri Payet. Yeah. I, I saw him play in person and I don't think I've seen anybody just utterly destroy 
our defense in the way that he did for a very, very, very long time. He was just, ugh, he's unplayable. And he started off the tournament in that vein. You could say he slowed down a bit towards the end, which I've already said, but he was so good in the first half of the tournament that it almost kind of sewed this berth up for him. And I mean, if, if he was tiring towards the end of the tournament, I'm not shocked by it because he, the shifts that he puts in in the games and he just anything special that, that happened with France in the group stage in the early rounds went through Payet. He was quality. Your front three, I don't think a lot of people are going to have arguments about. Gareth Bale out on the left ring. Wales' talisman scored three goals on the free kicks he if nothing in in later games just was a constant source of an out ball at all times and attracts the attention of a lot of defenders and really is one of the most hard-working men in football he seems to have caught Ronaldo's work ethic which is which is what I'm liking and I'm wondering at some stage you will see Ronaldo move on and, and whether or not he can be what Ronaldo is to maybe a lesser extent for Real Madrid, uh, whether he can be their key player and their keystone, because he certainly is for Wales. And I mentioned before the tournament, the thing that I love about watching Gareth Bale in a Wales shirt is he looks as comfortable as he would do anywhere. He just seems like he is around friends. This is the team that he's grown up playing with, and it's it's noticeable how it is and, and how well Gareth Bale plays. He doesn't feel the pressure I've got to say that I've never seen Gareth Bale look overawed in a game at any occasion. He's a double Champions League winner now and he's exactly the sort of guy that you really want to build your team around. Absolutely. Uh, the top scorer of the tournament, Antoine Griezmann, is the centrepiece of your uh, front three. He is. He was incredible. He really was. He reacted brilliant to being dropped in the second game he came on later on in that game and scored a goal and, and from that moment forward he was France's key man he was just everything that they needed really which was somebody to kind of not necessarily be a, a central striker even though I've gone from as a central striker in this formation but someone who's going to score goals from in behind and and, and, and pick out the spaces and play off somebody up front. And that's exactly what he did. And he just, he is a magnificent goal scorer. He's a really, really good finisher. And somebody kind of if his dimensions, you would say like physically, a lot of teams probably would look at him and think, ah, this guy can't be a striker. But the, the closest comparison I can see for Griezmann at the moment in world football is Sergio Aguero. And if he can stay fit, unlike Aguero has in the last few seasons, he can be every bit as good as Aguero. I think he has the potential to be that guy. Your final choice, injured in the final, but still uh, very important to his team throughout the, in the tournament, CR7. Cristiano Ronaldo, there's nothing that I need to say about him that hasn't already been said, but my favourite Ronaldo moment of the tournament wasn't actually while he was playing, and no, it wasn't him throwing the microphone that's, into the That's lake. what I thought you were going <laughs> to say. <laughs> it, it, it was when they went to penalties, uh, in the second time that they'd been into a penalty shootout, and you had Jal Moutinho, a guy who is a brilliant midfielder, 
kind of not looking particularly confident and, and went to sit on the bench and stayed out of it. And, and Ronaldo just said, no, no, come on, Jao, come on, come and take a penalty. You're a brilliant penalty taker. Look, it's in God's hands now. If you miss, who cares? Just come up here and do your best for the team because we know you're great. And he took a penalty and he scored. And if it were not for Ronaldo's intervention, you know, maybe... Jao Moutinho is out of the five penalty takers. Maybe whoever replaced him misses and, and Portugal go out of the tournament. But you do you get a sense that even though Ronaldo is a very me, me, me type character in the ways portrayed in the media, that this Portugal team really do close in around him and really do have a genuine love and appreciation for what he offers them, not just as a world-class player, but as a man as well. And just seeing that moment, I thought that really did do credit to Ronaldo and, and hopefully maybe changed a few people's minds about him as well, because this is a, a sort of just titanic footballer and someone we may never see the likes of again uh for my team of the tournament uh i have gone with a 3-5-3 formation because i am a maverick so you're basically going to be playing 12 players <laughs> yeah i know yeah i i, I only realized <laughs> well way too late uh i'll only stop on my team of the tournament <laughs> where uh we have kind of uh significant uh differences uh, and the first of those, because I have the likes of uh, Buffon, Kimmich, Chiellini, uh, you know, the, the, some of your players I can't, I can't argue with, but kind of players I wanted to put in a, a shout for include uh, Ashley Williams, who I have in my defence. Um, he is a guy who may not have stolen headlines, may not be um, the bright light going forward as part of a... a like like you were talking about with Kimmich, where he's you can see him being an important part of Germany and uh, Bayern Munich for years and years and years. But uh, Ashley Williams, well, he embodies one of the things that I think this tournament was about, and that's heart. Yeah. Um, he scored a very important goal, arguably the most important goal that Wales scored at the tournament. That was the equalising goal against Belgium that got them back in the game. Um, he is a guy who is very aware that despite the fact that he is the captain of the Welsh team, that Gareth Bale is considered the talisman of the team. And he still, um, I think, is very much a key figure there and is more than willing to let Gareth Bale steal the headlines while he puts in a decent shift all the time, like he does for club and country. Uh, I've put Renato Sanchez in as well. Sure, he was great. Uh, he, I think he got, did he, was he young player of the tournament or runner up for young player of the tournament? I think he was. I, I would. Have he was young player of the tournament. Yeah. I would have given him young player of the yeah, tournament. Yeah. So he's young player of the tournament. Um, I am bitterly disappointed that United didn't follow up their interest in that man. Uh, but yeah, he had a very impressive tournament. I hadn't seen that much of him before. I must confess, but he is uh, a very, very promising footballer. Uh, also, but speaking of young promising footballers, oh, just before you move off Sanchez, um, I mean he signed to Bayern Munich before the tournament started and I yeah. think that proved insanely shrewd because I think uh, uh, Rummenigge the uh, the the director of football now I think at Bayern Munich said that after the tournament there is no way that Bayern Munich would have been able to pay the fee that they would have had to have been paying for Renato Sanchez at 18 years old he's just he was awesome yeah that was yeah that i, I realized what happened now i did i made a pro i i i <laughs> when i said three five three it was i was um i had i had copied wrong from my initial draft it was three five two i put an additional player in that i meant to cut out and i have corrected that now in the notes because it was annoying me i was like i knew i put an extra player in there but i couldn't figure out who um 
Kingsley Coleman is a guy who I put in um, as a guy who generally his role for France was to come off the bench, but in a, in a team that, like we said before, lacked the inspirational figure to drag the team up by its its bootstraps. Kingsley Coleman was a player who looked who always was looking to get involved, always looking to be that difference maker. And perhaps it's only a lack of experience uh, at that highest level internationally that uh, held him back from doing so. But uh, every time I see Kingsley Coleman, he impresses me. Yeah, I think Kingsley Coleman's great and and his potential is undoubted, but I I didn't think that he really had the consistency in this tournament to get in for me ahead of a ahead of a Bale or a, a Ronaldo. So, mm. I like Kinsley Command, but that one, to me, you could go either way on. Yeah. The yeah. other ones, I, 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 the other the other additions to your team, I mean, I did con- consider Sanchez and you got to consider Williams as yeah. well just for, for what he is for Wales. So, yeah, Absolutely. I like it, Dave. I like it. Thank you very much. Uh, so, that is Euro 2016 in the books and what we're going to do before we finish the show um, is we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the transfer market. Silly season. Is it your favourite time of the year as well, Jack? Uh, yeah, right in before the season. It, it does get pretty confusing. I, my actual favourite time of the, the, the season is usually Christmas. I love that congestion of four or five premier league games over the space of like two three weeks yeah. where you you kind of look going into it and try and figure out where it's going to come out on the other side and that's a very much rush rush time yeah i don't like christmas as much because there's a bit of a tradition for united to get turned over by somebody over the christmas period everyone gets turned yeah. over at the and, christmas it's, and it's usually for united it's like the one fixture we would have thought was a guaranteed three points um but uh, that, that used to bother me less when uh, United had that tradition of uh, not being great until Christmas and then from January on would just steamroll everyone. Um, not so much <laughs> now. But uh, one of the uh, things that is a real highlight for the, the transfer window this year is the managers uh, that we're going to have coming into the Premier League uh, and the, the three big names being uh, Pep, Guardiola, Jose Mourinho, and your boy, Conte, coming to Chelsea. Awesome. Like, that is, you would say, maybe three of the top five managers in, in the world right now heading over to, to Premier League next season. Joining the likes of you've already got Jurgen Klopp there and his project at Liverpool, and uh, Pochettino continues to impress at Spurs. Um, it'll be a real season for the wily managers. Absolutely. And... Um, I think Guardiola and and, uh, and Man City is a perfect fit because obviously they've got the the Barcelona directors of football there and they're looking to do something with their new youth setup. So I think this is a guy that they wanted to bring in when he went to Bayern Munich before. But I think at the time Bayern Munich probably offered a more I don't know attractive you would say proposition. Yeah. Whereas now I think now he's in a, at Man City. They'll look to keep him for as long as he wants to, although he is very much in that stage of his career, as Mourinho did say a few years ago, of of wanting to do a little bit somewhere and then move on to somewhere else for a new challenge. But I think Pep's a a pretty good fit at Man City, wouldn't you agree? Uh, Absolutely, uh, much as it pains me to say. Um, And it'll be, I think, it's the biggest test he's ever had, I think, as well, because there is that um, criticism of Pep that won't go away, that he is a world-class manager at inheriting squads of world-class players. Uh, But 
that City squad finished the season in a level of disarray with a lot of players who are starting to age and some of their best players, the likes of Sergio Aguero, uh, being quite injury prone. So it will be interesting to see what Pep does. He's already got, uh, a there's already a couple of transfers in and, uh, you know, in terms of kind of sorting out the problem with aging players and players who struggle with fitness, they've not really done great because they've gotten Lito, who's uh, how old is Nolito again? He's in his late twenties, yeah. Uh, if if not thirty, yeah. And Gundogan, who, as we've already said, uh, does struggle with fitness. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, uh, and hopefully for Pep, because I, I quite like Pep and his uh, his. Uh, uncanny stylishness um 29 by the way nearly 29 so he's at he's at his prime now for the for the average striker but it will be interesting to see what pep does because i think um what a lot of people were saying last season even before it was confirmed that it was pep is that whoever came in next into the city job one of their first things they were going to have to do was clear out the deadwood and and restructure that first team uh, who looked shambolic at points last season I think the Nolito signing is, is interesting, though, because I know before Pep was Barcelona A manager, if you like, he was manager of Barcelona B, and Nolito played quite a lot of games for Barcelona B, so he'll be very familiar with Pep and Pep's style. So I actually think it's quite a shrewd signing that he would sign somebody like Nolito in there as a guy that he knows he can trust and that he knows he's not going to have to spend a, a little bit more time working with. Yeah. So it'll be, he's probably not going to start every game, but he's certainly going to be one of those key squad players. I think when the season gets deeper and deeper. Yeah. And he didn't cost them a whole hell of a lot either. 13.8 million is not really breaking the bank for a center forward in this day and age. Uh, uh no, absolutely. I, I, in Mkhitaryan, I'm sorry. And um, Gundogan is, is a gamble don't you think yeah absolutely it's very much a gamble in the in the vein of when as i recall when united bought hargreaves it's like there's a player with all the tools in the world but can he stay fit uh and you know hargreaves it was worth it if not for that one season but that one season we got the double yeah yeah, he was he was unbelievable. Him, him, uh, the incredible when you look back on how ridiculous it is to say it in retrospect, but the imperial midfield partnership of Hargreaves and Anderson. <laughs> that is quite bizarre, and some excellent hair there as yeah, well. Yeah, indeed. Um, so yeah, it would be it'd be interesting to see him. And I think, as I said, Pep a great fit at Man City. But moving on to the next big name in that particular city. Is Jose, and was there a sense of inevitability ability, sorry, about him turning up at Manchester United? But I, is Jose a good fit for United? I, Dave, I have always said that it was inevitable that he was getting that job. It seems to have been a job he has wanted for as long as I have known of Jose Mourinho. Um, he Chelsea obviously has a special place in his heart, but I even think at various points, particularly during his second spell at Chelsea, he was uh, ruining not being selected for the United job. Like the you know the the rumors that go around about Ferguson just said no to him, <laughs> and then decided David Moyes was an infinitely better uh, successor. Uh, and we all know how that turned out. But I, I have always thought there was an inevitability to Jose. He's always wanted that job, and Jose gets what he wants sooner or later. Uh, whether he's a good fit for United, time will tell, because United, 
until the last few years have been uh, a team that because we had Ferguson for so long wants a manager that's going to get entrenched for quite a while and Jose's pattern tends to be uh, one season of building a squad one season where he wins the league and a third season where he goes insane and gets fired um yeah i mean uh, there's there's something that jose brings to manchester united which they've lacked since fergie left and it's not quantifiable uh by any specific measure yeah. but it is box office power manchester united are now a team again that people are talking about did, and he, do you know what he brings back a little bit to united that they have definitely lost since ferguson is the fear factor Exactly, I think yeah. that one of the things that has characterized the reigns of both David Moyes and Louis van Gaal is that nobody is afraid to play at Old Trafford anymore. Whereas everybody, and I mean everybody in the Premier League, whether you were Chelsea in their pomp, Arsenal in their pomp, no one was confident coming to Old Trafford under Ferguson, nor should they have been. Uh, m- much as like in the heyday of Jose Mourinho's Chelsea, we were scared to death of coming to the bridge. And Jose is a man with an incredible record at home with his teams. Uh, He is a man who is definitely going to get the fortress mentality back at United. Uh, Possibly back to the heyday of like it when United were at their best uh, when I was growing up. It was always when it felt like it was United against the rest of the league where everybody else was willing us to lose every single week and we just didn't. Uh, and I think Jose could, you know, is the right man for that siege mentality. He tends to foster that whatever club he's at is to make the players believe everybody in the world is against them and they need to play for each other. Um, and really the only question mark with Jose is how much what has happened uh, at Real Madrid before and, and now specifically at Chelsea because even though the Real Madrid situation turned sour for him, they still did quite well that season, yeah. that last season he was there. But it just imploded spectacularly at Chelsea yeah. under my own eyes last season. And I have to wonder whether or not he's carrying a bit of scar tissue from what once seemed a man with confidence yeah. that would last for well, days. I've, Do we think he's maybe taken a hit well, from these I think incidents? I think he's going to get some confidence back from just the idea that the likes of, because it takes the likes, the likes of a Charlton and a Ferguson to agree that Jose Mourinho deserves a job for him to get the job. So he's coming in knowing that he has the backing of uh, people he would quite admire. He also will have a confidence boost from getting the job he has wanted for quite some time. Um, one thing he will also have is that he won't have the hangover he had when he came back to Chelsea, that there is very much um, a, a problem that he didn't have... Um, it, were, sorry, ugh, I'll rephrase that. He What he had when he came back to Chelsea the second time is, uh, and I, I think you'll agree, is that he had the problem of there was a lot of aging figures in that Chelsea squad. And how was he going to kind of bring in his own squad? Or how was he going to change it to more match the way he wanted his squad to be, should I say, and go on from there? Whereas with United, I think there's a couple of senior figures in there, but there's a lot of raw young talent in there as well for him to be able to mold in his own image. And the big question for me with Jose's rating United, the bit that I'm most concerned about, because uh, until I see 
him manage this team in the Premier League, I, I'm I'm not going to know for sure about the, the confidence issue. I am going to optimistically hope that his confidence will be back by the start of the season. But uh, the one question I always have for me is how long does it last? Because United friends, uh, United fans who are friends of mine, that is their big concern: is that is it just going to all end in tears like it tends to with Jose? And I kind of fall somewhere on the fence here. It's like, well, one. I think in the short term, even if he is only for the short term, I think United need someone like Jose. I think United need someone to drag them back up and not have us finishing seventh or fifth. We need somebody who has a proven track record, who's going to bring a bit of confidence back, who is going to have us finishing in the top four, if not challenging for the title uh, regularly, even if it is just short term. But if it is long term, I I don't know. I like I would be equally unsurprised if he ended up staying for quite a while, or if it all blew up and he left in two two and a half seasons. You know what I mean? Yeah, agreed. Uh, his signings so far, Dave. Uh, yeah. Well, Mikatarian, who was amazing for Borussia Dortmund last year and continues to have a brilliant career so far up to this point I, so I'm really really looking forward to seeing how he fares in the Premier League it's going to be nice to see him in the Premier League and as well unfortunately for me because I am I have such a place in my heart for him I think that might be the death knell for Juan Mata yeah I think that's kind of it a matter I mean there was a big strong rumor within a week or so of Jose arriving that Mata was going to sign for Everton I'm not sure how much truth there is in that uh, whether or not Mata would would favor a move in the Premier League or whether he perhaps want to head back to Spain he still has he still has a lot to offer a team of a much higher profile than Everton he, and he, I don't I don't mean that to disparage does. Everton in any way absolutely not and, and I think there's room for Mata elsewhere uh, they brought in Eric Bailey who is a young centre-half you want to talk about raw talent as well yeah a very very physical guy and I think there's a real kind of dearth of of quality centre-halves in European football at the moment. And I think a lot of teams are now taking a chance on on guys like Bailey and like Man City did a couple of years ago, Mangala, just because these guys are are absolutely athletic marvels. And it's just, if you can get the defensive side of the game, if Mourinho can communicate his sense of organisation and purpose towards Bailey then I think Bailey can be very successful in the Premier League because he's exactly the type of player that we've seen do very well now the last signing (laughs) uh, was free although I'd imagine the wages that the man are on would probably make you tear up a little bit and that man is no small matter of Zlatan the man the myth the legend Dave Zlatan How's he going to be in the United <laughs> shirt? I am, um, I'm like, giddily excited for any time a microphone is put in front of the man's face <laughs> when he's at United. Um, he's a player I have always, always coveted when he's been at other teams. I have rated him f- since he was at Ajax. Uh, back to the days of, you know, when he was at Ajax and he was offered a trial for Arsenal and he said, I do not do trials, I am Zlatan. Um... I think he's an absolutely top tier centre forward. I think he's he's moulded himself into an unbelievable athlete in recent years, which I think goes unnoticed by a lot of people. Um, 
because I think a lot of people uh, kind of would maybe lazily compare him to a better version of Berbatov uh, in as much as he scores ridiculous goals, but he's quite lazy. Whereas uh, I, I think in recent years, he's definitely molded himself into a much more athletic player uh, than maybe he had been sometimes when he would go missing in bigger yeah. games. Is he not a black belt in karate or is that just part of the Zlatan myth that seems to kind of circle around? I him? believe he is. I, I I am meaning to. I do have his book and I keep meaning to read it uh, and I'll get back to you Uh if there's anything about Zlatan that you don't know, don't worry, because he'll tell he will. you at some point. Um, as to how he'll do in the Premier League... Um, at his age, that's the only knock that's, against That's him. the thing. He certainly, I don't think anybody can really argue that he has everything you need to be a top, top Premier League striker. Uh, but the only thing is that he is, was it 34? Uh, which yeah. is, you know, like we keep harping on about 29 is usually the average peak for a center forward. So five years past that, you know, he's going to slow down at a certain point. And yeah. having last season a situation like someone like Bastian Feinsteiger signing for United and seeing what a player on the decline looks like up front. Uh, there's well, always I a mean, concern there. He's obviously not got the injury problems Shiny has. Um, but there'll always be the concern that maybe he himself has sensed that he's slowing down and just wants a run in the Premier League. Um, I certainly hope this is going to turn out uh, more like Van Persie did for a while at United than, say, Falcao did. Well, it's funny because, you know, having lost Didier Drogba at, like, the age of 32, 33, and then Didier Drogba turning up at, like, 35, 36 when he did for Chelsea again and the noticeable market difference that was sad in, i remember in, that in terms but he still had a good season yeah. and he still contributed positively. For, for what he could contribute he did well yeah and it's just i'd be interested to see what kind of conditions latan's in because he he would, wouldn't have you believe it but he is human yeah uh, so we'll see what he does yeah. next year ha- the, the question is has he waited too long to come to the premier league that's the real question yeah. because as well as um being 34 you also got to bear in mind that he has been in the french league for quite some time which is not the greatest league in the in the world he is also surrounded by some absolutely ridiculously talented players Uh, and you know he also had a poor euros yeah he was feasting on a lot of bad teams over there and that to me kind of I, he, he's always been great in the Champions League, though, so yeah. there's no question that he can still cut it at the top level. We just wonder... The, the schedule in England is mental, and it's really, really tough for the top players, and I'll be interested to see whether or not he can maintain his fitness at that level next year. Yeah. Now, the third new manager we have well, wait, wait, is... We have, before, we, before we move on to your boy, we've got to talk about the one, remain, the one remaining uh, issue that needs to be cleared up at United, is that... Uh, Jose talked in his opening press conference or one of his early press conferences at United that he has four key players to bring in and now he has brought ah, in three yes the annoying thing is I even put this on our show I know you did I forgot to come to it and um, perhaps yes. the name of the fourth player who he has not said out loud at any stage may be currently the worst kept secret in football yeah because it is assumed by all and sundry that that fourth player is in fact Paul Pogba returning home now 
talks of a hundred million transfer have been uh, floated around uh, one thing that definitely is a positive boost for United if this is an avenue they are exploring is the fact that Real Madrid have acknowledged that they have dropped out of the race to sign him leaving the possibilities presumably as United and a contract extension with Juventus um, he is only 23 years old and I remember being uh, Brian who is on Link to the Cast uh, asked me like is Paul Pogba really worth £100 million pounds? and I said well in the world of the transfer market it is very tough to say that anybody is worth £100 million pounds. but uh, as far as uh, if you want to talk about potential talent that is already there and age he is definitely worth a very high price tag indeed Um some things that have definitely made United fans more confident that this, is a, that this is a possibility in the last week or so are firstly his comments in the press about United being his first family and uh, the warm feelings he has about the club, which you would have suspected uh, the way things ended with him at the club the first time that maybe he wouldn't have those feelings. But Yeah, I don't buy that for one second. Yeah. He He's... He's talked about how Manchester United not renewing his contract he used as a chip on his shoulder for years to motivate him to yeah. get better. So, yeah, if he is saying things like that, it seems very clear that he there are negotiations yeah. going on. Um, and the, it would make the, sense the other, that the, it hasn't the, the come other, out up to this The point other thing really. as well that people are talking about as well is that there's, there's photos of him and Zlatan having uh, the lols in LA or somewhere, which is quite uh, quite something. <laughs> We'll, we'll see on that I mean it's silly season yeah. but it's 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 a transfer that I could see happening yeah. and that's a lot of money yeah I would not we'll, I would we'll not see. be surprised the only thing that would uh, I think maybe um, collapse it at this stage is one if uh, if Juve can put together a very compelling uh, contract for him because Paul Pogba seems to me like a guy who in his own head has something to prove at United and would relish the opportunity to come back and be relied upon as our as will probably be our best midfielder um but also seems to me like somebody who might get bored with the prospect of pretty much inevitably winning the title every season with juve yeah well as boring as it can be to be a dominant force in yeah. football but anyway you know, he's only, he's only 23 we... and uh, i will be keeping my fingers crossed on that one anyway let's shift on yeah. I want to talk about Conte. No, just not not kidding. Um, Conte mentioned him. He is he he was kind of the star, like the touchline star of Euro 2016, right? There were more Conte gifts and videos of him kicking balls and <laughs> shouting and jumping on benches and all this sort of thing than than I think anything else. So this guy is coming over to England, and I think the media are already pretty excited about the the likes of him uh, and Klopp maybe who are the two most animated managers <laughs> when that first Chelsea Liverpool game happens that's going to be an interesting touchline watch but there's a man who won the league a couple of times with Juventus uh, and picked up the top job in Italy despite allegations uh, towards him about him knowing that Max Fixin was going on in, in his dressing room at one of his previous jobs and, and not dobbing the players in which Fair enough, I can see him not wanting to grass up his own team, which I think that fits completely in with the mentality of him, but that just kind of shows the difference between the mentality of the uh, Italian and English FA. When Redknapp was a standout for the job over here and he had his tax problems, the, the FA went nowhere near him. Italy, oh, there's a weird little match-fixing thing. Ah, oh, no, that's all right, Conte, you go in and you be manager. We don't care, uh, which I, I, I kind of like find quite refreshing in a way. But uh, aside from that ugliness, uh, Conte... 
seems to be the sort of manager that Chelsea would need on the surface after last season, a season in which their players really didn't put a lot of effort in, in a lot of games. And uh, they kind of grew tired almost. I think of Jose Stick and there was rumours of a divided dressing room, much the way it ended for him at Real Madrid. And you could definitely tell and I think even the first game where Jose had gone that the, the fans kind of decided who the players were that weren't putting in Fabregas's, Costas, Hazards whether or not these were guys that fallen out with Jose or were just having bad seasons I guess we'll never know until someone writes a book which I'm sure they inevitably will uh, and we find out exactly what happened but yeah uh, Hinnink came in and steady the ship but this is a guy that w- looks like he works his teams very very hard Uh, Which, as I say, on the surface, that's perfect because Chelsea, bad work rate last season. It's just whether or not the players buy into his shtick and his mentality. Now, Perlo's quote about Conte was very Andrea Perlo. And he said, like, he, he, the things that he says break down the barriers of what you, his words, sorry, will, will break down the, his words assault you and break down the barriers in your mind is essentially what he said. (laughs) And he he said that Conte is allergic to error, which, again, would have really suited us quite well last season. So we'll see whether or not that dressing room accepts him. I I think it will. I think a guy's coming in with a great reputation and will have a lot of instant respect. I think a guy he needs to win over early uh, and a guy that needs to win him over early is John Terry. I think if those two have a good working relationship, it tends to be that if a manager gets on with John Terry quite well, then the rest of the team kind of follow suit. His power in the dressing room isn't what it once was, but still that's a key relationship. I think a lot of what Di Matteo did early was get John Terry very heavily involved in the run to the Champions League a few years ago. And I think that Conte could do well to cultivate that relationship. I'm sure he's very astute in that sense. But Dave, um, what do you think of Conte? And and do you think that he is going to be a good Premier League manager? I think he is, uh, to very simply put it, he is the man that Chelsea need right now. Um, He is a man who I think brings um, personality. He brings stability, as we said about his allergy to error. Um, And I think he is a man who brings the necessary personality um, to a dressing room that uh, has been contentious in seasons past, to say the very least. Um, I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see how he fares there. I do think he's a man that's going to need time because we've talked about Conte. uh, You've also got Batshuayi in there who, yes, they are players that are going to be very good for Chelsea, but I don't necessarily think, unless you would disagree with me, that that solves every problem in that team. Conte solves a very big problem. He definitely does. Last year, there wasn't a lot of dynamism in field. Matic, who'd been such a great player for its previous season, had really gone off the boil massively. Uh, and Mikel is Mikel and he's a clogger and he's been stealing a living for years but mm. nobody seems to notice mm. every now and then he fires up but I mean unfulfilled potential in its most obvious and extreme form is John Obi Mikel the physical oh. embodiment of that uh, I, I just yeah. he has such a punchable face <laughs> I mean, I don't know about that, but there you go. That that's a day for rational hatred of. Um, we'll do the well, rational I think hatred I, of footballers I, yeah, podcast. Eventually. I think that does date back to when he snubbed us to go to Chelsea. 
Yeah, I get that. That that whole situation was very odd, but I think you should love him for that because it's, it was a dodge the <laughs> bullet long run. Yeah, he would have been in the Jemba Jemba part two for you. I'm yeah, sure. um, but uh, yeah, whereas at, Ch- at Chelsea he's been there for so long. So Kante does. Batshuayi offers support at striker because other than Costa, we have nobody. Yeah, and, and at times, is- at times with Costa, you had nobody last season that's true uh so that will be good and a guy who's young and hungry mm. a guy who scored 23 goals and 50 appearances last season a guy who's 22 years old yeah. but then, ag- the last- again my my only my only fear with Batshuayi coming in is does it you know the worst case scenario is that it turns out to be part two of Lukaku you know a guy coming in with all the raw talent and promise in the world if he is benched for a significant period of time does he get restless go somewhere else um, I'll be interested. Well, hopefully he doesn't listen to Remy because Remy <laughs> was that guy last season yeah. for us. So I, I, I did think that there would be more movement out of Chelsea than there perhaps has been this summer. Maybe we are trying to shift one or two players on mm. the sly. I think we probably need at least two more players, though. Yeah. I think we probably need another centre back if we're going to play four-three-three, uh, and I think we need another fullback as well uh, because Babaraman. <laughs> not that I've given up on him yet, but I'd say 95% of me has given up on him. Um, <laughs> he was so unbelievably bad. So it'd be nice to see if Conte can cultivate some sort of performance spe- uh, pride in him. Speaking about managers that have a daunting rebuilding project underway, uh, Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, has uh, he's been making a couple of signings. Um, he's got uh, Joel Matip in on a free... He's got uh, Sadio Mane, definitely not free, at 34 million fucking pounds sterling. Um, more than Kante, which to me is like as good as Mane is. Um, hmm. <laughs> not not yeah. so sure about being more expensive than Kante. Uh, and Karius from Mainz, who I don't really know an awful lot about, at 4.7 million. Good goalkeeper. And he's just someone to come in and actually challenge because Mignolet hasn't had a lot of pressure on him really because they've not had anyone to come off the bench I, and I cause would, him many I would problems. disagree I've seen him frequently under pressure when balls come into his box yeah he's, he is <laughs> under pressure a lot but the problem is they keep going back to him because they don't have anyone yeah. anywhere near good enough to step in when he is as bad as he has been at times so I think this is a real kind of shot across the bowels it's almost worth spending 4.7 million to see whether or not this guy is good enough to actually push Mignolet to either fulfil his potential or just burn out and then you're going to have this guy in as either transitional or maybe he is good enough to be the keeper long term at Liverpool, not sure. I have uh, two questions uh, brief ones because uh, I'm consciously aware of how long the show has been going on uh, just about Liverpool before we move on and start heading towards the end here but uh, my two questions are your thoughts on the work Jurgen Klopp still has to do to get that squad where it needs to be and also do Liverpool's owners stick with him Liverpool's owners will stick with him uh, unless I mean it, it would have to take a drastically terrible string of results and Klopp to lose his rag and, and really kind of lose the good favour in him but the good thing about Klopp is he has a real sense of 
the cult of personality going on like the mm. journalists love him the fans love him he's a very likable enigmatic guy so i think that almost buys him a little bit of breathing i think room because I, they, I think one of my they weren't fa- great last season yeah, one of my one uh, of my favorite moments of last season with jürgen klopp in the premier league was i think after his first game when he was asked about this guy uh, by was it the someone from match of the day he was asked about um uh, what do they think about the chances of Liverpool finishing top four? And he just started laughing at the guy, and uh, said to the, like one of the officials was walking in the background, and he said, "I've played one game in England, and they're already asking about the top four. And the guy, whoever was off camera, said to him, "Welcome to England, mate." Yep. <laughs> and there that's that's the problem. That's why I asked that question: is that how quickly do Liverpool's owners expect results? Um, when I think it's clear to most people outside of Anfield how significant the project needs to be to get that team uh, back into serious contention for anything. Well, I, I think that the media pressure is what ultimately cost Brendan Rodgers his job because yeah. I think they quite liked Brendan Rodgers and I think Brendan Rodgers talked a really good game. Well, he's, so he's, Brendan he, Rodgers is a great project manager. He is, yeah. Um, <laughs> he started his Selwick project fantastically yeah. well with a 1-0 Didn't defeat by a team from Gibraltar. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think that he... that kind of buys him more time the way he is uh what does he need to do to turn it around i think he's made the true sign-ins i think money at 34 million is overpriced slightly but still if he can be consistent is a very very difficult player to defend against because he's got such a low center of gravity and he's Mm. so quick that you almost can't help but foul him sometimes and he is going to go past players and ever since they lost sterling they haven't had that dynamic player who's going to run at you and, and commit you and make really just inroads into the defense and and you know they've signed matip from schalke a center back and they've signed him for free those are two good signings yeah. I think he has the nucleus of a good team but still it's about the striker position do you keep storage fit or do you get the best out of Ben Teke or does what <laughs> happened last <laughs> year where you have elements of both of those things but neither completely come yeah. off um, there were times at which Ben Teke looked like he forgot what football was last season yeah and then he scored one of the absolute yeah. goals of the season as well yeah. at Old oh Trafford. I remember I remember yeah. um Here's the, an interesting question and one that you've put down on uh, the show notes here. Is Granit Xhaka the answer for Arsenal? He answers one of the questions. Which a very is, profound question that they've been asking yeah, themselves since Fabregas left. Yeah, do they have somebody to play in the holding midfield? Somebody who has a bit of the defensive mentality and can come out and pass it as well. And he looks like he has that. Obviously, his tournament ended badly with him missing a penalty and and um, Switzerland being eliminated. But I was impressed with him and from what I've seen of him. So I think that does answer a question. But the the more prominent question at, at Arsenal, as it is at Liverpool, is do they have quality enough up front to really challenge for the title, which is what they should be doing now. They finished second last season mainly due to nobody else finding any consistency in Spurs utter implosion towards the end of the year and Arsenal just kind of did what they normally do scored the same amount of points that they normally score and and that was enough to finish second in this season so I don't think they did anything above what they normally do yet they managed to finish second and I just I I don't know whether Giroud is a reliable enough striker 
uh, to to win you the title? And that's the question there. So they've answered one question in the midfield. They need to answer another one. And I think they do still need to add another centre-back. Koscielny, I love. I think he's a great defender. But uh, alongside him, Gabriel, Mertesacker, those are the two noises Mm. to sum those two guys up for me, really. Uh, A team that must have spent... uh a lot of uh, sleepless nights and long walks, soul searching to figure out what is it they were missing that they threw the league away in the last few games. Spurs have made a couple of signings during this summer. Yeah, they have. Um, they're signing Janssen, who, who scored 31 goals in 49 appearances for uh, AZ Alkmaar last season. And, and again, it's whether or not the, the scorer of goals in the Dutch league will succeed yeah. In England, are you more Van Nistelrooy than Kesman? Yeah. We're going to have to see whether that one works out or not. Um, but I think it's yeah. good to have somebody in and challenge Harry Kane and also be able to rest Kane every now and then because he, he just looked very, very tired in the Euros. And I think that despite you know the break that he's obviously going to have for the next month, also it would be good for him to have a little bit of that pressure taken away from him because if he's not firing Spurs are finding it hard to score I think next season so it'll be interesting to see whether Janssen can come in and play well they signed Wanyama Dave which I don't know if your take on this but I think Wanyama again as another player with great physical traits but just common sense seems to escape him sometimes and he's a guy who takes too many bookings and gets sent off for me and spends too much time on the sidelines just due to his decision making really and yes again at central midfield at holder they only really have Dyer and Mason came in and did the role and and wasn't as convincing so I mean Wanyama will fill that space in the Mm. squad but is he a bit too unreliable to count on week in week out? He's reminiscent to me of a the problem Czech Teote had in a similar respect. Uh, yeah, all, yeah. all the tools uh, just doesn't seem to have a head sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And they signed the French under-21 striker slash forward Nkudu from Marseille as well, who I must admit to not knowing an awful lot about, Dave. Is, is there much for you to say about Nkudu? I have literally nothing apart from that he, um, he has only been there for a year, having signed from uh, Nantes, and appears to impress a lot of people. Uh, he was uh, the subject of bids from clubs as uh, far apart as West Ham and Sevilla as well and has picked uh, Spurs as his home for next season and I don't really blame him well Sevilla would have been an interesting choice for him but uh, I would definitely have picked Spurs over West Ham in the current climate considering how close they came to winning the league uh, this season don't have an awful lot to add about him Uh, we've already really kind of uh, talked a fair bit about Wanyama there and uh, Janssen yeah to me it is a case of like hopefully he's one of the the Dutch goal machines that turns out well and not poorly for them he's more of a Luis Suarez than an Alfonso Alves uh, to come up with another comparison um run us through a a couple a couple more of the kind of the 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 ephemera here the the various other big transfers that people need to be aware of jack before we yeah i i um i was compiling this together and i couldn't believe uh the players that crystal palace had signed because i i was you know you almost sort of stop paying attention to transfers as much when there's an international tournament but Mm. Palace have brought in Steve Mandanda who was Marseille's first choice goalkeeper for many 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 years now I think 10 years he played for them and made hundreds and hundreds of appearances Uh, 31 years old and is a very solid keeper you know has a, a good 
amount of caps for France and he has only one and a half million. And I think that's a great signing yeah. that they've pulled off there. Uh, they also brought in Andros Townsend, who, again, a, a player with a, a lot of potential and can be quite inconsistent at times, but certainly towards the end of the season was, was really flashing and it was unlucky for him really to miss out on the England squad, I've got to say, in my opinion. So 13 million, maybe a little bit of a gamble, but the right sort of player I think for the way that they play they are very heavy on the wingers and you know it's almost comes down to Zaha and Balassi to win a lot of games for them and Jason Punchin as another player that he, he can play in that sort of position so I think Townsend just comes in and provides backup and competition for those guys and I, I think that's a, a shrewd signing considering their uh, system and the last player I was shocked at, actually, was James Tompkins, the West Ham centre-back, who'd been at the club basically through the youth system and, and, and had been there for quite a long time. And at £10 million, seems like a lot of money for a guy that always looked solid but never really stood out to me as, as really challenging, um, even, say, an England place or something like that. I, I don't know if you've got a lot to say about James Tompkins, but... Is 10 million just a little bit too much for us, a player like him, perhaps? Yeah, I think it might be really. Like, I think um, it was. I wasn't necessarily expecting him to move during the summer. I think, like, he definitely has um, something to offer any squad he's in. But yeah, 10 million pounds, even with the. Like, we always talk about the inflation of the transfer market. For 10 million pounds, I think you could probably find yourself a little bit better value in the transfer market than Tompkins, as solid as he can be at times. Yeah, agreed. Uh, just a few other little hodgepodge ones. Uh, there's a guy called Victor Fisher who burst on the scene for Ajax. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of his. Four or five years ago, and, and he looked really, really, really good. And I think a lot of teams were looking at him in, in the youth league and thinking to themselves, wow, this guy is going to be the next big star. Mm. Has struggled with a few injuries since yeah. then, hamstrings and stuff like that, and hasn't really established himself as, as maybe a lot of people thought he might, but he's gone to Middlesbrough of like 4.7 million. It's a very, very, very years. shrewd purchase, I think. That's an interesting signing for Middlesbrough, and I'd love to see whether he can develop what a young age was world-class talent and, and be a really good player yeah, for he's not the fastest player you'll ever see he's not the most skillful player you'll ever see but he's got enough of both that he's a very dangerous prospect out wide um he kind of in that way reminds me very much of uh, harry kane and as much as you can point out one quality about him that is like exceptional on a level that other players don't have but he is just at a high consistent level when he's fit uh, at all aspects of his game that uh, he is yeah he's a very dangerous prospect and could be a very key player for Borough if he can stay fit yeah um, another one I, th I thought it was interesting was Nathan Redman now probably Norwich's best player last season although you can't really claim that that's much of an accolade because <laughs> there wasn't a lot of quality no. players for, for Norwich last season and ultimately their squad strength is what cost them their place in the Premier League. But this is a guy who's 22 now and he's a perennial England under-21 international. He's made nearly 30 appearances for them and scored quite a few goals and is a guy that showed a hell of a lot of promise and you, it would be interesting to see how he does at a team like Southampton now because he's always been the sort of jewel in the crown at Norwich and 
and at other teams that he's played for at a lower level. So I, I'm now seeing him move to a club like Southampton who have a lot of much better quality players around them. And it'd be, it'd be interesting to see whether he can continue the development of his career and go on and be a feature player for them because he's essentially going to have to come in and replace Mane. Yeah. And those are some kind of big shoes to fill for, for such a young guy. It's definitely a very very high quality opportunity uh, to step up to the next level for him um to fit into a team that very much is a lot of players who their story is that they took the opportunity to step up um and just kind of as a unit uh maybe achieve uh more as a team than they would have uh, individually in uh in their past lives um west ham uh yeah. a team that moved to their new stadium this year uh, a team that uh, you would have thought would be making several signings this summer to try and uh, galvanise and improve upon uh, what I think most people would agree was a very good season for them. Yeah, it, it was much beyond their expectations, I think, at the start. And they have got a brilliant kind of setup now that they've got such a good deal on that Olympic Stadium that the taxpayer in this country, Dave, is probably much in debt to, to provide in West Ham with a lot of the opportunities that they do have. And, you know, that they made some really key signings last summer, like Dimitri Payet and, and Manuel Lanzini, who come in and, and were absolutely uh, just a, a brilliant additions. Um, and the one that really interests me they've brought in this summer is uh, Gokhan Tor, who's a former Chelsea youth player and has been pretty lively out at Besiktas in the last couple of years. And they've brought him in on loan. And I think a lot of, you know, the papers were linking him 10 million, 15 million. And I'm just really interested to see what he can do because the Turkish performance at the Euros wasn't particularly in like good in any way really but uh, this is a player that I always thought when he was coming through at Chelsea would probably go on and if not make it into the Chelsea first team be a consistent Premier League player so I think it's a cool story for him to come back to the Premier League after the guy that had to move around at Ruben Kazan and Besiktas and really rebuild his career in European football but he has everything that I think Slavin Bilic looks for in his players which is a sort of real dynamic presence and a kind of ruthless work ethic so this is a guy with a real strong mentality who despite rejection at a young age from Chelsea has managed to find his way back into the big time and could be a key addition for West Ham next year. Yeah, and I think that's uh, kind of all the, uh, the the big news in transfers for now, at least until we come back uh, and start doing the show proper. But uh, just two more stories to finish things off. Uh, I'll go with the bad one first before I finish on the uh, quite comedic one to leave us on a light note. And that's that this is just breaking news now, and I, I don't mean that in terms of a pun, but uh, Demba Ba, formerly of Newcastle, has suffered, unfortunately, a horrific leg break playing in China. Uh Looking at the the video here as you were speaking, it is uh, shades of Yubril Cisse. Oh no! Yeah, and um, that's a shame for a guy who's thirty one. Um, for something like that to happen, it was any genuinely horrifying. Any person who is not a fan of Liverpool Football Club will remember him as that guy that took the ball off Gerrard when he fell over and stuck it in the back of the net. Yeah. In what was the implosion of Liverpool's title challenge a couple of years yeah. ago? <laughs> and you know what always always a good goal scorer you know mm. not necessarily a particularly uh 
you know quality presence up front he didn't have a lot in the, in terms of the range of passing and maybe holding the ball up particularly well but he did score a lot of goals in the Premier League so I, I that's a shame and hopefully he gets back fit soon and haven't seen much of him in China or Chinese football in general but you know I wish the best for the guy I, I think he was he was a decent guy for Chelsea scored a good winner against PSG once as well so thumbs up Denver Bar and get well soon mate yeah. uh, my favourite story of the summer just to finish things off because it was hysterically funny Bielsa to yes. Lazio and then not yes, so much yes Dave educate educate us with the maverick personality that is Marcelo Bielsa uh, Bielsa uh, would it be fair to say is a bit of a maverick yeah he's crazy he is a, a legitimately insane person and uh, during this uh, during this summer during it was actually during the um, the Euros wasn't it that he signed well for a while uh, signed on to manage Lazio and you would have thought crazy team crazy manager it makes a hell of a lot of sense but uh, a couple of days before he was due to fly in and actually sign on the dotted line and be unveiled as manager of Lazio he just said do you know what don't actually fancy it uh, <laughs> and just didn't show up and uh, as of now Lazio have issued legal action against him for breaching his contract uh, suing him for a grand total of 50 million euros wow I mean that will be an interesting one to watch out how that plays out but I mean surely like he wouldn't have done that if he'd known that there could be uh, action against him. I, I, I find that a very, very difficult to believe that he'd be dumb enough to just go, nah, don't fancy it. Uh, Even though then, that seems to be what he's done. <laughs> yeah, but then like leave himself open to legal ramifications yeah. if he hadn't, maybe had he signed a pre-contract agreement, no one really knows what's But Yeah, yeah uh, very much the oddest story. Uh, football is kind of one of those definite industries really you're either there or you're not um <laughs> they have insanely multi-million pound contracts and image rights agreements and stuff and they were probably in the middle of sorting all those out for bielsa and he's just like yeah you know what guys i'm just gonna stay home and i'm i'm, I'm reorganize my books uh yeah. you, you you good luck next season it, very very weird uh a guy that you know has is always linked with those top jobs in Europe, isn't he? Bielsa's yeah. always a name that comes up. Um, just he, he, He's one of those guys that comes in somewhere short-term and is very successful and very progressive in his approach to management, but it always nearly ends in tears for him. Yeah, and he, uh, I think part of what may, may have made Lazio even angrier was that like within a few hours of this all going down, there was uh, a lot of very powerful rumours that the Argentinian FA have made contact with him to see if he might want to uh, go for a second spell in charge <laughs> we'll see what happens yeah then. he but may yeah, be less inclined with Bielsa. a massive lawsuit in on him but uh, we'll see how that all pans out uh, but yeah. anyway I think we will leave it at that um, for now we will be back in a couple of weeks with our season previews uh, for the Premier League and for uh, the bigger leagues in Europe uh, and we will have a more kind of solid and streamlined show format by then we're still kind of flying by the seat of our pants here we did have uh, a whole transfer window and the latter half of a massive tournament to sum up here so we did run quite a bit longer than we would have wanted to but you know that's how committed we are to quality analysis and coverage isn't that right Jack? 
exactly yeah, yeah so yeah. in the meantime you can follow us on twitter at away goals pod which you will see kind of bursting into life hopefully quite soon uh with updates on you know where else you can follow us on social media or when our next show is coming up things like that that is the best place to find us for now and i will hopefully have a better spiel to wrap up the shows with all our contact details by the next time we're here but for now i am dave ryan you have been jack lazell that's correct. Huh? And this has been the Away Goals podcast. It's only a game. <laughs> <laughs>